This is Broccoli. Content that's good for you. Hello and welcome to Your Broccoli Weekly. I am your host, Yora, and today's episode will follow a slightly different format to usual. This week, we have done a special report into the impact of COVID-19 on education in the UK. The outbreak of the virus has touched every aspect of our daily lives. For most of us, commutes to work no longer exist. All social plans have been abandoned. And shopping in supermarkets has become an Olympic sport. But for those in education, daily routines and future plans have completely come to a halt. On the 18th of March, when the UK government made a sudden escalation in efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus, it announced that all schools across the UK will close indefinitely, with A-level and GCSE exams cancelled. Gavin Williamson, the Secretary of State for Education, said pupils would be awarded assessed grades for conventional GCSE and A-level courses by the end of July, using an algorithm to be developed by Ofqual, the exam regulator, with each pupil's grades then ratified by their teachers and exam boards. The Department of Education said pupils unhappy with their assessed grades would have the opportunity of appealing and the opportunity to sit exams in the affected subjects after the start of the next academic year, or in summer 2021. Schoolgoers of all ages will be taught at home through online lessons and digital resources, unless they are the children of key workers or are considered vulnerable. For these children, schools will still be open. British universities have asked their students to vacate campuses, switching to online or remote teaching. For many final year students, post-university plans are in complete limbo as graduation ceremonies are getting cancelled and graduate job applications have been put on hold. There are increasing fears that the lockdown will put vulnerable children at risk. Children's Commissioner for England, Anne Longfield estimates that up to 2.3 million children in England are at significant risk, but not currently getting help. Anne Longfield told The Guardian, These children are in families that are already unstable, and this crisis is going to put them under even more pressure. For these children, school tends to provide one and often two hot meals a day. It provides structure and support from peers and teachers and gives professionals direct line of sight to children with a well-established escalation procedure. All this is lost if a child isn't at school. And, even with the government's announcement, most won't be. With many children's centres, nurseries, libraries and youth services closed, down or cut, there will be the best part of one million children who have needed a social worker in the past three years now becoming invisible to professionals, just as their families come under unprecedented strain. There are also fears that the pandemic could lead to a surge in child abuse as children may be locked down with abusive parents and carers. Free Your Mind is a child domestic violence and trauma support service which offers holistic therapy sessions and workshops to children who experience and witness domestic violence in their homes. 
Founder Natasha Benjamin talks about some of the services that are being provided to the children they work with during this difficult time. Domestic violence is a massive issue in general, but will be increased when people are in homes together all the time. There is no way for these children to escape. There is no place for them to go to, like school, which would be an additional relief for them, as, you know, it would be coming to some, you know, somewhere like our service. So we want to do everything we can to support these children, as already nearly two million children are affected by this issue in the country. We expect that number to rise because of this. So during this time, we are supporting children via telephone and doing online sessions. And that may include things like FaceTime, actually, if they can't get to Skype or something like Zoom, which, you know, is usually used by adults. Uh, We are also sending out worksheets to parents, um, which will help parents uh, support children themselves with tough emotions that might be coming through during this time. It is incredibly difficult because we can't see anybody face to face at the moment, and face to face is the best way to get this supportive work done. But we're doing what we can. Professor Lynn Murray is a British psychopathologist and academic specialising in child development. These are her recommendations for parents isolating with their children. I think that they need to try and create the most positive experience that they can for them and their children. So talking to them about how they're going to lead their lives, creating a routine will be important. Finding out what it is that their children most like doing and trying to respond to that, all those things are going to help them. I think that for the younger age group, children say between one and five, then sharing stories with children, sharing picture books can be a way that can keep them close together with their parents, um, not have any pressure on them. It's a way that children and parents can have conversations usefully about what's going on in their lives, the feelings they're experiencing. But other creative activities too, like music and art, where children aren't under pressure to perform, those can also be useful activities to start off with until the child's ready to get down to perhaps routine things that they might be doing in school. The children will obviously realise that something very unusual is happening and they will be wondering about it and they may well be having worries and anxieties that they don't they don't express directly, but that it would be worthwhile parents having gentle conversations with them to find out if there is anything that the children are worried about but also being able to give a clear, sensible account to their child about why it is that they've been taken out of school. One that talks quite openly, but realistically and not in an alarmist way, about the fact that there is an illness going round and we want to be sure that you're kept safe and that by coming out of school, staying together in our family, we will be safe together. So you want to offer realistic reassurance, but also explain why you're doing it. I think the most troubling thing for children if things happen and parents, perhaps with all good intentions, try to protect them by not talking about the reasons for what's happening. That can actually lead to more confusion for the child. Say if a parent is being really worried and alarmist and really anxious about the pandemic, you know, can children pick that up quite easily? 
children are very sensitive to parents' worries and anxieties, and they will overhear conversations. They will notice if their parents are sort of running across to the television, the news bulletin, and looking very anxious. So, again, if parents can help to talk to children calmly about what's going on, the fact that the doctors and the government are in control, it is a situation that we need to be concerned about, but it's one that the people in charge are looking after. And try to keep discussions between themselves if they do have real anxieties. That that will definitely be helpful to children. Dr Amanda Gummer, child development expert and founder of Good Play Guide, had this to add about children who may have special educational needs. It's a period of adjustment and different children react to that differently. Children with additional needs, especially those um, on the autistic spectrum, can find disruption to routine incredibly difficult and challenging. So where possible, establish a new routine, give them a new sense of normal as, as quickly as possible. And I would absolutely stress that don't worry about following the curriculum too much. Don't worry if you don't get to meet this, the learning that the schools have set. The most important thing over the next few weeks and months is to thrive with your children, get through this, um, make sure the children feel happy, healthy and grounded and safe and secure um, and make that playful environment where they can learn things, but in a much more um, interactive, engaging way, rather than focusing on schoolwork and, and curriculum-based lessons. It's natural to be concerned about your child's development when the schools are closed and the routines have been disrupted, but it doesn't have to have a negative impact, certainly not a long-lasting one. Exam cancellations may sound like good news for those doing their GCSEs and A-levels, but in reality, many young people across the country are worried their assessed grades won't reflect the hard work they've been putting into revision. And often, mock exam results may not be an accurate reflection of a student's abilities. According to a 2016 report from University College London's Institute of Education, only 16% of predicted grades are accurate and less than one in five students gains the grades their university offers are based upon. Of the others, 75% are overpredicted and 9% of students are underpredicted. These figures show that this is not a marginal issue. The process of predicted grades is inaccurate for most applicants. Furthermore, experts warn the changes will disadvantage black and minority ethnic, working class and other marginalised students who are already underrepresented in top universities. GCSE and A-level grades are crucial for admissions into further and higher education. Lee Elliott Major, Professor of Social Mobility at Exeter University, told The Guardian evidence had shown that the poorest students receive lower A-level predictions than their more privileged peers. There are worries the poorest school children will almost certainly fall further behind those from better-off homes while schools are shut, as many will not have the same sort of support or resources. While Professor Kalwand Bhopal, Director of the Centre for Research in Race and Education at Birmingham University, said predicted grades were often wrong, to the detriment of some categories of students. She said, Students who are from white, middle-class, affluent backgrounds will do very well from these predicted grades, especially those from private schools. Their parents would just go to the school and argue the case that my child isn't a B, they're an A star, and the teachers will take that on board. Those students will do better. I spoke to Jenica, 
a Year 11 student from London. Whilst I appreciate that this is an unexpected circumstance, I can't help but feel that basing my grades on score predictions will not reflect how I would have performed in a traditional exam. Not basing our grades on exam performance, but still putting an equal importance on our grades feels really unfair, as even though I worked hard to complete my homework, my teachers have not seen the other work that I have done independently over the last few months. I am really anxious about how this will impact whether I get offered a place at my first choice of sixth form. And I know a lot of students are similarly worried about how this will affect their university choices. It would be good to know whether the work that we are currently doing as part of our online learning will impact our grades, or whether the grades have already been decided, as it seems like nobody really knows the answer. Some students were even looking forward to exam season. Jamie, an A-level student from Omar, Northern Ireland. I am probably one of the few who are quite saddened that we cannot sit our final exams, because obviously it is something that we work towards all year round. And it is, if you like, an opportunity to show off that final time and do your teachers proud. You're pushing through, you're grinding on for that final push. And it seems now that it's just been taken away from us, if you like. Gracie is a 17-year-old A-level student from Sheffield. For me, I've not been cheated out of a success, but that's only because this is the kind of system where it would work a lot better for me anyway, where grades were based off the whole year as opposed to just the final exam because I've got bad anxiety, so I don't cope well with the overwhelming pressure of the exam but I know for a lot of people that thrive off the exam that is cheating them out of it a lot and like I've been speaking to my friends and for some people it's like great no exams been working hard all year but it's hard because you've been told that the only thing that matters is the final exam the whole two years and then for suddenly it's all changed it's like crazy. Teachers are also worried. As well as guiding students through the curriculum, they also really care about their futures. Luke, a secondary school teacher from South London, wants more clarity from the government on how these rapid changes will be implemented. The general view from my colleagues and my view as well is that there have been a lot of knee-jerk decisions recently um, within education and there doesn't seem to be been much forethought about what this means for teachers and for students um, and also for parents as well. The clearest example of this is the decision to completely cancel any public examinations in the education sector. Students are essentially going to find out what they got based on predictions that we as teachers make for how they would do if the exams took place. So that's based on teacher assessment So we don't really know what that means. We think that that means how they did in mocks and also how they've done in class. And we come up with an idea of how they would do, therefore, if the exam were to take place. But we actually have no idea how much of a sway we really have. So we don't know whether it's our prerogative and we just decide and that is their grade or whether this is just a suggestion and the exam board considers that alongside the data that they have for the school um, and other measures for how schools perform and, and the accuracy of our predictions. So long story short, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. And we're confused. Parents are confused. And probably most importantly of all, students are confused. And I know many students are very stressed. Sophie who teaches a group of Year 13 students, says the drastic change is as challenging for teachers as it is for students. At this point in the year, my Year 13s are about to submit 
the first draft of their coursework, which I would then give them feedback on and then they would be able to redraft their coursework. We would then move on to revision. So they have actually covered everything that they need to for their exams. When they found out that their exams would no longer take place, the first thing we said to them was, don't panic. And we had a couple of points that we said to them um, from the government guidance. So the government have promised clearly that all students in year 13 will receive the recognition they deserve for their hard work and qualifications awarded. The government also said that no students should pause their ambitions. So with regards to those in year 13 wanting to go to university, they made it clear that universities will adjust and work to the new system that will be put in place. We had a, an assembly with the sick formers and told them all of this guidance. Um, personally, I think basing grades just on their their grades from their mocks would be unfair, especially for my students in year 13. At the time of their mocks, they were completing their coursework. So a lot of their time and energy was focusing on their coursework rather than their mocks. So their grades unfortunately suffered because of that. So if their predictions were based on their mocks I don't think that would be a fair reflection of how hard they've worked and what they are actually capable of it's obviously very different and it's been challenging fingers crossed that this doesn't last too much longer and we can go back to normal soon IFE is a UCAS coordinator responsible for preparing students for university applications apprenticeships and future careers she thinks that some schools will be much better prepared to support students online, whilst others will be at a disadvantage. Like right now, um, year 11s and year 13s in different schools will ultimately have access to learning in, in very different ways. Some schools, you know, will have a very good setup in terms of being able to teach students virtually, whilst other schools won't and they won't be as equipped to do this. Also, you, we need to bear in mind that not all students will have access to computers or the internet to be able to take um, these classes online or virtually. There'll also be people who'll be able to afford tutors and you also have students who are now being forced to, to learn from home, uh, where in you know many cases they may not even have a desk to study on. You know, a lot, a lot of students at, at the school I work at are sharing a house with many siblings as well as their parents and their grandparents or uncles and aunties, which just makes it, you know, in, in this time of lockdown and quarantine, just makes it even harder for them to be, to be able to study. And what about university students? In the past two weeks, British universities have switched to online or remote learning to counter the spread of COVID-19 and many have also closed their campuses. The student loan company says students will still get their loan next term, even if universities stop teaching. But the real question is, should university students be paying their fees at all? Over 250,000 people have signed a petition calling for tuition fee refunds. Many students are also facing demands from landlords on UK campuses for ongoing rent on their vacated rooms. As campuses close and exams get cancelled, there is uncertainty about what will happen to assessments, grades and graduation ceremonies. While many students acknowledge their university's efforts to continue delivering their education, others are angry they're not getting the university experience they were once promised. I spoke to Noah, who is a final year student at Edinburgh University. All students in general were really worried about the, the fact that we've had barely any classes as it is. A lot of us had three weeks of classes taken away 
uh, due to industrial action. And then on top of that, the coronavirus. So some people have only had five out of what was meant to be 11 classes uh, on their courses. And it's just pretty difficult to sit an exam or write an essay on a course that you've only had less than half of the classes for. One of the vice principals of Edinburgh University actually emailed every single student and said they've come up with a new policy. Any exams that are yet to be taken will all go online um, and the same goes for any assessments. Whatever mark you receive in these upcoming exams and essays or other assessments, it will only count towards your grade if it, if it is an improvement on the marks you already have. So I personally think that's an excellent policy because it's very flexible. It gives students who have the capacity to improve their marks and work from home the opportunity to improve their grades, but also for students who are really struggling, whether it's with mental health, whether they physically have the virus or whether they're in a situation where they don't have access to all the necessary materials, um, whether that's historical archives or whether that's just Wi-Fi, these students will not be negatively impacted because of that. Hamza, a final year student at York University. As far as I'm aware, fees are being paid as normal, though there's been no announcement either way. But between the two strikes this year and now the COVID-19 pandemic, I hope that we get compensated in some way. First year, second and third years were compensated with free graduation gowns, but I don't think that will cut it. They have been good to first years that students living on campus are now able to terminate their contract for next term, so they won't have to pay the third instalment of rent if they choose to do so. I do still have two essays and my dissertation due in. They've not extended the deadlines for these, though the English Lit Department have sent an email around reassuring us. They've relaxed the rules for extenuating circumstances and told us that we don't need the same proof that we would in a normal situation. Um, I do think I've actually been able to concentrate on them as normal, though, because it's not like I can do much else, so it gives me something to feel like I'm being productive with. Maeve McEwen is a lecturer at Cambridge University, and she's worried about the impact of the virus on vulnerable students and those whose homes are abroad. So one of the main concerns for students is that they've been told to go home. This is actually really difficult for some students. On the 18th of March, Cambridge University sent out an email to all the students saying you should return home now. And this caused quite a lot of panic among the students. For some international students, they can't go home because there are travel restrictions in the countries they come from. They might not have the money to pay for the flights. Uh, There are visa reasons, so they're worried they might not be able to get back into the country. So the government said it's going to give a four-month extension to Tier 4 visas, which are student visas, but there are still concerns that how is that going to pan out in reality. Also, some students are from highly affected countries, so it would put them at risk to go home. Then you have low-income students who can't really pay for last-minute transport, whether that's flights or trains or whatever, Uh, Some students don't really have a safe or a stable home environment to go home to. And some students have family members who are vulnerable and are self-isolating or who might have the virus already. So Cambridge has said that for students who can't go home, they don't have to. Nobody's going to be evicted. But it does mean that there has to be a kind of skeleton support staff around. And I think all the Cambridge colleges are dealing with that in their own way. 
Maeve also touched upon difficulties as a young academic trying to look for work in the current climate. 70% of university staff are on casual contracts. I'm on a one-year contract, but there are lots of other kind of contracts in academia. So some people are on zero hours contracts. People like early pay lecturers and graduate students who do a lot of teaching. I think a lot of these people are worried about work in the short term. And I think there are also concerns about getting jobs for next year. I know that's one of my main concerns at the minute. I'm applying for jobs, but I'm seeing not very many jobs around at the minute. And recruitment's just really not going to be a priority for universities right now. They've got other things to be dealing with. Another challenge is that we have this publisher perish culture, we call it in academia, where you have to continuously publish research if you want to have a chance to get a job and even to keep your job if you've got one. But it's really hard to do research right now. Like, obviously, we're all experiencing this anxiety about living through a global pandemic. But a lot of people will have other things to deal with, like homeschooling their children or caring for sick people or being sick themselves. It's really hard to do research in those conditions. And I think people are going to be worried that their career might be held back, especially for junior staff if they're not being productive in this period. There are many questions that still remain to be answered. How can the government help those who don't have access to be taught online? How will children be kept safe in potentially dangerous environments? Will the new GCSE and A-level assessment system be accurate and fair? Will university students receive financial compensation and will rent be frozen for them? Conversations around how private schools will continue to stay open are also unfolding. Neil Roskilly, the chief executive of the Independent School Association, which represents about 540 UK private schools, said that the vast majority of schools do not have huge reserves and are likely to fold. He said many schools had already offered fee reductions but added that some heads were worried parents would refuse to pay them if their child's school was closed. Gavin Williamson has praised the sector for the way it has handled the unprecedented changes. He wrote in a statement on Wednesday, Over the past week, this nation has entered a truly unprecedented phase and as a government, we have had to take the exceptional steps to deal with the challenge that we are facing. As Education Secretary, taking the decision to close all education institutions and cancel the summer's exams and assessments was not only enormous, it was incredibly difficult. In a week of unique circumstances, one thing that hasn't surprised me is the resilience, resourcefulness and real commitment of you all. Your sector has not only risen to the challenge, its expertise and ingenuity has shone through, using creativity and technology to keep the show on the road for the thousands of learners who rely on you. I have heard some fantastic stories of staff and leaders moving swiftly to online learning, sharing teaching resources and supporting local schools to ensure vulnerable children and children of key workers are cared for. I know that this will be a difficult and testing time for you all, both personally and professionally. We are in a crisis that seems to touch every aspect of our lives and I know you will be anxious about the well-being of your teams and learners that you support. We have published initial guidance on how best to keep staff and students safe, along with some more practical guidance on the implications of COVID-19 on the running and funding of your institutions. Only time will tell how effective these government measures will be. 
we need to keep in mind that at the heart of it, there are students with real goals, ambitions and dreams who have a lot to lose if we don't get this right. We must also ensure vulnerable children don't slip through the net amongst all the chaos. Whatever happens, these emergency measures may result in long-term change within the education system. Perhaps when academic institutions reopen, we may see a system that is less rigid and more accessible. I hope you enjoyed this special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly. Starting from next week, there will be a two-part documentary focusing on Windrush. I've been your host, Diora, and you can find me on Twitter at the Diora. Information can be found on our website, www.yourbroccoliweekly.com. You can join the conversation and share your views using the hashtag YourBroccoliWeekly. If you liked what you heard, why not give us a rating and review on your favourite podcast app? And if you loved what you heard, tell your friends. Your Broccoli Weekly is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Pocket Casts and all your favourite apps. This special episode of Your Broccoli Weekly was produced by Cass Denton. This is a Broccoli Production.